Welcome back as the IFC presents another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus. We've got a great episode for you. Today is the finale, part two of the two-part special podcast with Dr. Lahab Al-Samurai going over the complexes. If you enjoy the IFC's Individuation Podcast and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. So without any further ado, Dr. Al-Samurai, take it away. Um, the first part is how the archetypes shape the world we live in. So how do they shape the world? The archetype is the term comes from Greek. Archetypes means the beginning or the original image from which later things are made. The term was brought into literature from psychology by Carl Jung, by the psychology of Carl Jung. So basically, um, the archetype means uh, the beginning or the original image from which later things are made. So what would that be? So um, for instance, what do we do now? We sketch something before we create it, before we paint it. We, we build a model of something before we build the building. Um, that's the original image. The original image is the one before the model. It's in the mind. That's the original image. Stop me if anybody has questions. We could always... Um, archetypes are transpersonal. They come from the source or origin. Okay? So transpersonal meaning they're not personal. They're not yours. They're everybody's. Archetypes do not belong to one person or people, but are shared with everyone. Thus, humanity as a whole share archetypal patterns. This is what we mean when we say we are not alone. The archetypes are always with us. They're always moving us. They're always pushing us. They're always shaping the eventuality of whatever we're doing. Archetypes are the inherited part of being human, which connects us all to the beginning. <coughs> the archetypes express themselves in forms. They grow out of humanity's stories. So we know archetypes from mythology, psychology, biology, science, we know those stories over and over again. There's a magician, there's a witch, there's a hero, there's a lover, there's a heroine, there's a king, there's a queen, there's a great queen, there's a benevolent savior. There, you know, all these stories or these mythologies, they run through um, the collective. They run through every culture. In every culture, we have these stories. In every way, we have these stories. These stories are the stories that we tell to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. These are the same stories. They're passed on from generation to generation. There's a reason. These are archetypal stories. Um, archetypes are universal and transcendent. Archetypes can't be explained away by culturalism, behaviorism, historically, socially, mixing, 
or geographically proximity. So archetypes are naturally occurring. And we know this because in several different cultures, we have the origin stories or um, creation myths, we call them, um, that are very similar of how the world was created, uh, that there were Adam and Eve. So there are different stories of creation and each story of creation is similar to other stories of creation. It's all about beginnings. We ask ourselves the same questions. We create stories to answer those questions. Where do these stories come from? And where do these questions come from? That's always that question itself. Why are we questioning? Where is it coming from? Why are we trying to figure this out? Where is that coming from? So um, it can't be explained away by culturalism, behaviorism, historical or social mixing or geographic proximity. Because we've seen in cultures that are very far away from each other. We find reoccurring themes. The Mandela symbol is a reoccurring theme in all cultures. The fight, the fight between good and evil is a reoccurring theme in all cultures, between good and bad. The fight to succeed, the fight to progress, the fight to move forward, the fight to um, move away from that which is harmful. So um, archetypes are reoccurring, uh, appearing in slightly altered forms everywhere you look. So archetypes express themselves in the drama form. They inhabit every form. So um, the simple way of thinking of the archetypes is that they, um, they move us towards the goal that we ultimately want to take. So let's think of certain archetypes. An archetype of the warrior. So what is an archetypal warrior? We'll go, we'll, we're gonna get into this. So the first thing, uh, let's get it, let's finish this uh, definition first. The psychic manifestations of spirit indicate at once that they are of an archetypal nature. In other, in other words, the phenomena we call spirit depends on the existence of an autonomous primordial image, which is universal present in the pre-conscious, the makeup of the human psyche. This is Carl Jung. And what this means is that um, the idea of spirit is archetypal in itself, that we believe we have a spirit. That's an archetype. How did we come to that belief that we have a spirit? Where did that come from? The phenomena we call spirit depends on the existence of the autonomous primordial image. Remember that an archetype is the original image. Okay. So what are archetypes? The original energy patterns of being existence on this planet. 
Archetypes are universal patterns of being. We understand them as behavioral patterns. So certain people act in certain ways. Warriors act in a certain way. Lovers act in a certain way. Leaders act in a certain way. Magicians act in a certain way. Queens act in a certain way. Archetypes are images and story patterns. Okay. So, since all mythological figures correspond to an inner psychic experience and originally sprang from them. So, the experience of the original psychic image is what springs forth into nature and what we understand as um, the form. So, we build a house. We don't know where that came from. We just thought that would be a good idea. We were inspired. We saw it in a dream. There was an original image of the house. Then we call it a home. This is a collective view of house throughout societies. This is an archetypal understanding of what a house is. It becomes a home, a dwelling, a place where I live a place where I get old, grow, have children, get married, get divorced, whatever it is. It's a place where families exist. An archetype is a universal image. It's a situation, character, story, symbol, or patterns that recurs through literature, thought, consistently enough to be considered a repetitive concept or situation. We keep hearing, you know, the story of the hero. This is archetypal. In every culture, there are stories about heroes and heroines and about how they survive and how they defeat enormous odds. We call it psychological development. We call it transformation. But these stories tell us something about ourselves before we know ourselves. So in Jungian um, psychology, Jung believed that the mythology, the fairy tale, is the original psychology of humanity. It tells us about the psychological well-being or lack thereof of the human species. Just as all archetypes have a positive, favorable, this is according to Jung, bright side, they point upwards. So also they have on that points downwards, partly negative, unfavorable, partly synthetic, but for the rest, merely neutral. Two aspects of the archetype. One aspect is of light and freedom and independence and creation, and the other is the destruction. Um, and lack of creation. Let's go to the next. The primordial uh, Greek gods. Okay, let's stop here. Uh, and go into So this is a very long lecture on the archetypes that I did with 
uh, Christy and uh, Lance. Um, um, so we skip to the end. The king queen archetypes. So young, uh, Jungian psychology um, started to espouse the idea that um, there are archetypal patterns that shape the way we move in the world and how we live and how we think in the world. And in the psychology of Carl Jung, that the archetypal pattern, that there was an imprint of that pattern and when you have the imprint of that pattern, you work through that pattern. So if you are the pattern of, you have the pattern of the king or queen, if you have the pattern of the um, magician, if you have the pattern of the lover, if you have the pattern of the warrior or Amazonian, if you have that pattern, if you have the pattern of the warrior, you know, so warrior, lover, king, queen, and then magician. So these four patterns are basically the primary patterns that we basically form societies from. This is how we constructed the idea of functioning societies. The lovers and the warriors would create um, the masses, the kings and queens would uh, orient the masses towards development um, and they would lead the masses. The, um, the magicians were the consultants. They were the creators of ideas. How, how does water flow through a city? How, how do we, um, what happens when it, when it doesn't rain? Where do we get water from? How do we, do we dig into the ground? Anyway, so the magicians were basically the uh, creators of solution. Um, they were the consultants of the day. You need the warriors to, um, to move you forward, protect you, and um, create more uh, space and land for you. You need the lovers to um, create societies and keep the warriors from getting out of control and burning and killing everybody. So you needed the lovers. They kept everybody calm. So the lovers would like be around. Also, procreation took place. Okay, so the king, queen archetypes. So uh, what we did, what I did in this uh, lecture is I compared them to uh, Greek mythology and how we understand Greek mythology. So I don't know if anybody knows a little bit about Greek mythology, but in Greek and Roman, the Greeks and Romans had these gods. So um, the gods of Mount Olympus, they were called. Um, so the gods of Mount Olympus were Zeus, right? He's called Jupiter in Roman. Um, that's the king of the gods. This is the king archetype. Poseidon uh, or Neptune, as the Romans call him, king of the sea. Another king archetype. Hera or Juno, as the Romans called her, queen of the gods. Hades 
or and Pluto, as the, uh, the Romans called Hades, they called it Pluto. So king of the underworld. And Demetra and Ceres, Demetra is, um, and Ceres is in the Roman, queen of agriculture. So the king-queen archetype, um, we want to get to in more detail, but let's go through the other ones. The archetypes of the gods. So the warrior and the Amazonian archetypes. So Ares, in Roman, it's Mars, god of war. Artemis and Diana, Roman, goddess of the hunt. Athena and Minerva, goddess of war. Hephaestus and Vulcan is the Roman, god of black blacksmith and fire, Apollo, and they're both Apollo in Roman and Greek, god of archery. Of course, Apollo did other things. So the lover. Um, Greek and Roman, gods and goddesses. Dionysus and Roman, it's Bacchus, god of wine. Aphrodite. And in Roman is Venus, goddess of love. Nike and Victoria, goddess of victory. Um, Victoria is the Roman term. Uh, Tyche and Fortuna, goddess of good luck and fortune. Iris and Achilles, goddess of the rainbow. The magician archetype. And these are the Greek and Roman gods. Hecta and Hecate uh, are both in Roman and Greek. She seems to be um, in many different mythologies that go all across Eastern Europe and all the way into Syria. She seems to have had a huge uh, following. She was a goddess known in many different lands. Um, Hermes and Mercury, so Hermes in Greek and Mercury in Roman, gods of the message. Hypnos and Samonas, gods of sleep. And Janus and Janus, gods of beginning. Nemesis and Nemesis is the goddess of revenge. These are the magician archetypes. The queen king, okay. So what does the archetypal pattern represent? The queen-king archetype represents the sovereign. They are divine. They are fiercely loyal. They are born as a divine child. Um, they lead with firmness and fairness. They are born leaders and organizers. They are respected and shown loyalty. They represent the psychic wholeness of the four archetypes. They believe everything has a place and a purpose for it. Um, if you ever been told by somebody, this is, this is not the place, that's called the king queen archetype, right? So if they're like, you don't behave this way in here, that's, that's what's speaking to you. That's the archetypal pattern that's speaking to you. It's not really the person. The person is just embarrassing themselves. The archetypal pattern is speaking out. <clears throat> so, any questions about the king-queen archetype? Okay, 
I know Christy has gone through this, so some of this might be redundant and then we'll get into the discussion. I just wanted to go through it again. Um, the warrior's archetype. So the warrior represents the focused emotional energy of the psyche. They yield power and eros in the world. They defend the realm. They are calm and composed and um, under, uh, when under pressure. They have excellent instincts for deception and are decisive. They're always readying themselves for battle and are able to stay uh, calm in chaos. The lover's archetype. They are the representation of creation, arrows. They live in the moment in the pursuit of play and pleasure. They work at being attractive, seductive. They like beauty and awe of nature. So like the fashion industry is all about arrows. It's movement. It's uh, when you see the catwalk, it's about arrows. It's about uh, beauty. It's about movement. It's about um, creation. That's why it's beautiful. Um, they like to pursue their imagination. They pour deep, intimate relationships. Uh, the magician archetype. They prefer, uh, they prefer to find unique and original solutions to problems. It's like, yeah, yeah, and I know they solve it this way, but I, I don't like that they solved it this way. There might be a different answer to this. It's somebody who's constantly keys, uh, seeking different answers for things, or they have their own answer for it. They tell you how the world works. They tell you why it works the way it does. Um, they can be very moody. Um, they don't like old static ideas. So what if so-and-so believes that? Who cares? Doesn't really matter. Um, they drive transformation and innovation. Uh, they can be lost in thought and at times whimsical or eccentric. They look crazy at times. Um, sees further the most and can be easily bored. They're very intuitive, they're seers. Um, they take a long time to process information. And uh, one of the important things is they live on multiple planes. Always seem to be thinking of something else or somewhere else or talking about someone or something else. They're never always with you. So brief. intro about archetypal patterns. We use all the different aspects, but there is an aspect of us that leans, um, that moves ahead of all the other aspects. That always comes easier, simpler. It always is like simpler to me. It's always from the get-go. It's like, oh, you know, mm, uh, you make it look so easy. You talk to people, you're not worried about what they say or think. How do you do that? Oh, it's just easy, just talk to them. <laughs> so 
there's an aspect of it that always seems to be a lot easier for so-and-so than it is for the other person. So I would say that your lover, that's the person that usually drives the bus. So I'm thinking of it as like a cosmic train. Like all the archetypal energies are on this cosmic train because our minds are like tiny. So we can't imagine how we are in the world. We, we always blow ourselves away. It's like, I thought of that. How did I think of that? <laughs> so because you don't. It's, it's a, you're, you're like connected to all these other things that are going on that you like, it's hard to conceive that, you know, you're just walking around, but you're connected to all these other things. And these are the archetypal energies and they move us in certain ways. So if you think about the archetypes are on this cosmic train that's moving you through the world, there is somebody that sits, uh, that drives the train. And in the driver's seat is usually one of the archetypes. So the lover archetype has a way of being in the world. That doesn't mean that the magician archetype or your magician archetype doesn't want to come out. Maybe you're in graduate school and you want to show up. Um, maybe you, lovers use magic. They just use it differently. They use arrows. Magicians um, talk about creation. Lovers um, know the divine. That's how they, they argue. For them, the divine is always creation. It's always eros. The magician believes that there's more than eros. So that's where the argument always stands. It's all about being embodied, right? So you want to be in your body. You cannot be in your body if you're carrying trauma. This goes back to our first discussion, which is if there's a trauma, what there is, is there's a disconnected, disassociated, emotional material that's not integrated that's always causing havoc in the body and when there's havoc in the body i cannot be comfortable in my skin if now i'm not comfortable in my skin i can't think straight if i can't think straight nothing makes sense everything seems dynamically not to make sense because i'm basically um not settled right i can't like, if somebody's in a lot of pain, they say things like, I can't taste anything. I don't care about anything. I don't want anything. I just would want to not feel pain, right? So basically, my life has kind of been structured in a way now. It's If you take everything off, the only thing that I want is not to feel pain. That's all I look for all day long is to feel no pain. So if you have a trauma and it's, it's barking at you all the time, it's hard to be in your body. And if you're not in body, you're feeling pain. Oh, my shoulder, oh, my back, oh, my knee, oh, my neck. You're in pain because you're not in body. And because you're not embodied, you can't get close to um, your archetypal, um, your archetype, your archetypal energy. And your archetypal energy is all around you. I mean, you can feel it when you are in your 
in your best, in your all, you know, you could feel it. You feel like, you know, you're, you lit with energy. For magicians is usually when they find this new idea and they figured something out. They feel like they're in their energy. It's like, oh shit, you know, I could carry the universe over my head. The lovers, when they, when they move something with love, mm. when they move something with themselves, when they use themselves to move something, then it's like, look, look, look what I did. Look, like I could do that. Um, warriors usually is when they, you know, destroy something or you know, save somebody. It's like, hey, you know who to call. <laughs> I kid them. I kid them. Um, but yeah, the energy, the energy, you could sense it, you could feel it. You could feel when you're with a bunch of warriors, they start pounding the table. You could feel, you could feel their energy. I mean, you can see them in a bar. If you walk into a bar and you want to know the archetypes, right? The warriors are the ones yelling at each other and laughing. The magicians are the ones sitting alone in the corner, drinking. The lover is, if there are like five people around, the lover is standing in the middle. They're telling a story. And the kings of queens are holding court. They're there holding court. There's like, and then I did this. And I told so-and-so not to do that. <laughs> it's like, you could see all of them. So when you walk in, just look around and you can tell who's who. You could, you could tell the brooding warrior sitting alone who, who is looking for a fight. You can't mistake him for the brooding magician because the brooding magician, you can't tell where he's sitting. You just see a glass somewhere. You have to come close to the booth to see them because they're hiding in the corner. They don't want to be seen. And it's unconscious. This is because this is the archetypal pattern. So they're not conscious that they're doing this, but it's conscious to you because now you see everybody. Well, understanding your archetype is basically now the invisible hand behind you is no longer behind you. You could, you could spot your road you now know why you're taking the left side of the road instead of the right side. You know why you're turning left instead of turning right. You know what's ahead of you and you know why you're going there instead of, it sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a good idea means it wasn't your idea. <laughs> so anytime you say it sounds like a good idea, it's not your idea, by the way. just. So that pops up in your head and you're like, okay, I, I want to go this way. Well, now you know why. And you could see further because now not a, your, your focus is, is changed from um, trying to make rational sense out of what's happening into movement. Now you could see the movement. Where if you're working with somebody, now you could see how they unknot themselves how they, how you're going to untie this knot for them. You're going to tell them you need to move this way. You're moving against your energy. 
Okay, so it's moving with our energy in the world. And when we move with our energy, it's much easier. Plus it opens opportunity because then we are able to see all the options that we have. We're not, we're not just dragged kicking and screaming towards the inedible that we need to come to. This is where you need to be. Okay, I give up. Can't win. <laughs> well, yeah, it feels like you can't win because it always seems like you go where you, you could say, you know, it's like, this is the worst possible idea that I could ever have. And then you end up doing it. And you're like, why would you do the worst? <laughs> as soon as that popped up, you knew it had to be done. Okay, but where did it come from? That's the archetypal energy. We also call them complexes, but the complexes and the archetypes are pretty much interchangeable. We call them complexes because they're personal, archetypal because they're universal. So we are part of a groups of warriors, groups of magicians, groups of lovers, groups of kings and queens. We are all parts of these groups. That's universal. The pattern is, is when all four face off, the, the king, queen stand next to the magician, the lover stands next to warrior. And so they all spin in this circle. They're all like this part. They all create the whole. For, for, in Jungian ideas, in, in Jungian ways, is that the energies are not distinct within us because if, if it's just distinct within me, then I become a god. But the archetypal energies are gods. They're not distinct within us, yet they move us in the ways they move. They talk to us in the ways they talk to each other. So when we're in the world, that's what happens. Things can't, um, they have, they're blinded by needing to be rulers of everything. So they're blinded by that they need power. The magician sees what is unseen. They see the trusted, uh, they see the, the trusted uh, second maiden as wanting to stab you. They see what is not seen. They see who you could trust. They see who you can't trust. But the uh, kings and queens have a really hard time um, having too many magicians around. That creates too much havoc. Because magicians in general, they... Um, they think everything is absurd, so they like to play pranks. They're gestures. They like to joke around. They like to make fun of shit. They, they basically like to throw a hand grenade in the middle and see what happens just for fun. You know, and say, oh, you know, that's not deadly. It was just meant, you know, it's just sound. I just wanted to see if you guys were paying attention. You know, we, and this is why warriors like usually try to like, like kill the magician Be, because the, the magician is, um, thinks that they're 
uh, lack of sense of humor is funny. And so they like to joke with them, which I do at my own peril, but they like to joke with them and they don't like to joke. The warrior doesn't like to joke around. <laughs> Magicians like to go, well, you know, there's always something funny. There's not funny for the warrior. So people will say things like, I remember warrior saying to me, it's like, you think you're funny. <laughs> I, <do. laughs> I really do. But you know, I know they don't think I'm funny. I know they're pissed, right? But that's what happens. And it doesn't have to be that I am joking with them. I could be joking about anything. They'll take it personally. The archetypal energy will rise up. It will get agitated. But that's, that's the archetypal kind of <coughs> irritations that occur between the archetypes. You know, lovers and magicians don't trust each other. You know, because uh, magicians don't trust lovers because um, they fall for them and they don't like them because they have power. They're dangerous. They don't trust them because they don't really believe in love. They use love. So that's the bias of the magician towards the lover. And the bias of the lover towards the magician is like, oh, you never know what they're up to. So I just won't even go there. <laughs> so there's this, this um, irritation. So all the archetypal energies both kind of flow together and irritate each other. So it's that dance that moves through. You always see the four coming closer to you. You'll, you will recognize the four archetypes in your life. You usually have three other friends who are the three other archetypes. And they'll reach out to you and they'll talk to you and you know who they are. But you don't think about it. But you grew up with them. Because the four archetypes are always attracted to each other. They always create, it's kind of a synergy. It's unconscious. It's the archetypal energies. That's how they move. Churchill, uh, Churchill, uh, Churchill's famous uh, speech, we will never surrender. That was to the warriors. That was a calling card to the warriors. That was an echo, that was a scream, that was a yell to the warriors. Basically waking them all up. Right. And we know, we, we know how royalty moves. We see it all the time. They call themselves billionaires now, but same bullshit. It just has a different disguise. Same crap. So you could tell, but you could also tell, you know, the benevolent kings and queens. 
they're the ones who donate a lot of money. They create a lot of charities. They fix, they try, they try, they try. <clears throat> so when there is, um, so when there is imbalance in the world, it's usually the archetypal balance has gone off. And that's why we see awakenings of so many magicians. And it started with, uh, it started with like Harry Potter. The film started this awakening of some sort. I don't think it wasn't, I mean, here's this woman who can't make rent, is completely stuck. And then she is now a multi-billionaire who's donated like two thirds of her billions and she's a billionaire again. Those, those are the invisible hands. That's when somebody gets a calling card. The, the Twilight series, another woman who uh, no rhyme or reason should be writing those stories. Suddenly it's flowing out of her. There is an awakening, but you know, so the archetypal structures, there's something off. And so awakenings are happening to try to reset. You see a lot of young people that the, uh, the young, um, I hate when I forget her name. The uh, young woman from, I think, Sweden. This is where the archetypal energies start to take you down these uh, roads. You find yourself at a party. It's like, well, how did I, how did you get here? Somebody will ask, how did you get here? And it's almost like a cosmic conversation. It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> you just happen to be there to like light the match. <laughs> oh, here, let me light your cigarette. It's like, you're just there with the light. You're just there with your light. You're just standing there. Oh, you need a light. Oh, it's so good that you have a light. But it's like a cosmic conversation going on and you, uh, you're just participating. And then I was like, well, how did you get, how did you get to know so-and-so? Where did you get to know so I'm like, well, they came. When I, when I started uh, Young Advanced Motor Processing, people would call me up and say, you know, I don't know if you remember me. You know, I was your client many years ago. I said, yes, I know why you're here. Well, how did you know? <laughs> well, Jamp came and you came. So obviously, and everybody who comes is like, everybody who asked me about everybody who's here, who's part of Jamp says, where do these people come from? I said, Jamp came and they came. And they like kind of pulled each other and everybody kind of came. But I couldn't tell you how um, 
I know this treatment works. I knew the treatment worked before I used it. I was being passed down instructions of the treatment. As I woke up every morning, I had a different chapter in my head. Well, how did that happen? I wasn't writing it the night before. Was I? <laughs> I told the, I, I had, a, I have a student who became a coach, which is a friend. She lives downstairs. She came up one day. She's like, um, how's it going? I said, well, I came up with this treatment and it's really effective, but you know, I want to tell you something. And she goes, what? I said, I don't know where the hell it came from. She said, what do you mean? You've been, uh, you have a PhD in uh, uh, clinical social work. You've been uh, teaching, you, you have all this. I said, okay, fair enough. True, I still don't know where the hell it came from. Like when I'm writing something, I know where it's coming from. It's like, oh, you know, I have it. But this thing came as a package. It like unfolded. It was like somebody opened different pieces of it for me. It's like, oh, let's unwrap the second box. What's in the second box? Oh. Mm -hmm. So when I was saying this to her, is like, I was like, yeah, she's got to be right, you know. I just got to be brilliant and why am I questioning myself? <laughs> it's because it didn't come that way. It came, it was laid out. It, it said, look right, look left. Okay, you know what you're doing? Okay, go. The name came to me in a couple of days. Everything was like falling into place very quickly. I could have swore somebody else was putting words in my mouth. My students would say like, because I, I'm talking about this treatment to them. It was during COVID. So it was me and my students like communicating all the time. So I would tell them about a different part of it and they go, they go when did that happen? <laughs> Dr. Lahab, I said, I don't know. It came last night. So I thought I'd talk to you. <laughs> But we didn't have that last week. I said, yeah, I didn't have that either last week. I have it this week, so we use it. So, so from the beginning, from the get-go, everything that's come has come in pieces. And it's almost like, you know, uh, assembly required. That's what I think of now. Assembly is required. But it's not very difficult assembly, even the way you have basically the diagram in front of you. And I don't think this is unique to me. I think this is a process that we all go through for certain reasons. When we find different things, find different ways to deal with things, or this has this comes as a theory, but there are other things that come. It's like, oh yeah, I, I decided that I'm, I'm moving out of, my rental and I'm gonna buy a cabin in the woods. Why are you gonna do that? I'm gonna get off the grid for a while. Okay. So we make these like snap decisions and they seem like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you've always been somebody who likes nature. 
No, that's after the fact. We're putting definitions after the fact. It's already done. It's already gone. The archetype has already pushed you. You've already done it. You're already there. Wherever you think you, you're not, you're already there. If you think you're going someplace, you've already been. You've already visited. If you say things like, this is not quite the way I imagined it. You saw it differently once upon a time. Not quite the way you imagined it means that you've seen it. You just don't remember it in the same way. It's like going back into your childhood home. You don't remember it in the same way. So every time you visit someone, it's like, I don't remember this being this way. It's not quite what I thought it would be. Not what I imagined, not what I thought. Not what I would have um, expected. We use all these terminologies to explain the unknown. What is the unknown? Why is it, why is it unknown? Oh, okay. Now it makes sense. We're always trying to find answers of why, how, and when. And then, but we're always playing behind. We're always explaining all the things that have already happened. So when Jam came, it was like something that was going to happen. I was like, well, that's weird. I'm usually explaining backwards. This is coming this way. Why is it coming that way? That's weird. Should be coming that way. I mean, I was a young man. I read about the archetypes in the complexes. Early on, they were interesting and then they disappeared. I didn't see them. I didn't think about them. I just kept doing what I did, which I, was clinical treatment, which was doing psychotherapy, which is all I did, all I thought about. But it got to a point where suddenly something changed. I could feel something changed, something snapped, something was not. It didn't look the same anymore. I started understanding there was something missing. And one of them was um, efficiency and speed of treatment. It seemed way too slow and inefficient. So I've spent my entire career on becoming a a great psychotherapist in my eyes, not in the world, but just the way I see myself, like honing this skill. Now I am telling myself I need to be more efficient and quicker. It's like almost an insult. I've been working my ass off. <laughs> right? So it's interesting. So the way it came, but these are, this is, this is why, you know, I talk about the archetypal patterns is when you are open, when you are centered, things start to come. You're no longer chasing them. You're not, you're not out there. They're coming to you because you're moving within the pattern.
you know, we say things like, oh, that's crazy. Oh, I don't know how that happened. Oh, that's impossible. Just the other day, I was thinking about you and you called me. And then we end up doing this. I don't know how that happened. I was listening to uh, the two organizers of uh, the Black uh, Lives Matter movement um, at a conference. I was listening to how they met and they met on Facebook. It was these two women. And basically one woman said, do black lives not matter to the other woman? They didn't even know each other. They ended up, they were living in the same neighborhood in San Francisco. They didn't even know each other. So out of nowhere, now it's like a international organization. It has chapters all over Europe, all over the world. It's two women, they met over Facebook and one woman asked the other woman, does black lives, do black lives matter? That was the question. <clears throat> and that's how it started. But so all these things that we think are, so almost everything starts like that. These tech companies started in garages. Well, that's odd. No, it's creation itself is unknown. You, you fall asleep, you wake up in the morning, you say, I got it. I didn't know I was looking for it. I would wake up in the morning and say, I got it, but I didn't know I was looking for it. What's interesting is I didn't even need to write it down. Like it was all in my head. Like somebody had already laid it out. After I talked it out, then it was written down. Everything's moved like backwards in this whole young and vast border processing has been, and that's how it's been working. And that's how I met Christy and Christy works with the body. This is our, these are the archetypal energies. And when I saw her and we talked and it made sense, we're supposed to meet. We probably already met. Well, now we've already met, but that's how it works. And it just kind of, all these pieces come together and you're like, does this, this make sense, right? Does this make sense? What is making sense? I mean, it's basically our mind, our brain, trying to comprehend something that is quite outlandish, actually. The idea is outlandish. It's like a it's like an invisible arrow that hits your head and you're like, oh, I got an idea. Let's do this. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Well, I think this is the energy, right? So the, uh, the, the, it's the original energy from creation. It's the, so if the Big Bang occurred, then all this electrical energy, this energy just kind of dispersed across uh, 
our known universe, what we know of the universe, it created these planets, it created the plants, it created the trees, it created everything, it created us, created the animals. Um, that's, I think that's what we think of as higher self. Because I think that that energy is what kind of pushes us through to do things. And that's where we get our ideas. That's why we call them archetypal. The, the image was there before we, it's like, when they discovered the wheel, they actually didn't discover the wheel. They already knew of the wheel. The discovery was creating the, um, the sketch. It's when they sketched it out. And that's what, that's what happens. The creation comes, the archetypal image is the original image. And that, that original image is what we think we're creating or recreating. It's actually, it's already been created over and over again. We say things like, oh, we're going to recreate the wheel. No, you never created it in the first place. Great for you. <laughs> you don't even know where it came from. You didn't even know how to use your hands and feet at the time. You thought they were foreign to you. You didn't even know they were part of it. And if you saw them at night by themselves, you probably stabbed them or something. Yeah, it's, we're, we're like primitive, instinctual bacteria. Evolved bacteria, but we're still bacteria. I mean, we're, we're basically a conglomerate of viruses, bacterias, things that are smaller than bacteria and viruses now that we're discovering that uh, in the biome, there are colonies and colonies of hundreds of millions <coughs> of these microscopic creatures that we don't even understand, we don't even know, we don't know why they exist, but they exist within us. So our species is very interesting in the way that we look at ourselves, but we're not one thing. We're connected to the beginning and we are at the end and we're all the same. It's all at the same point in time. That's what leads us through the world. So the archetypal energy is what is where the healing is. It's because it is the origin You know, you know, it's like uh, you go through stages of development, like adolescence, where you rebel. Well, you have to rebel. You have to feel like you can rebel. Right? Because if you feel like you can't rebel, you feel defeated. You feel defeated. 
So we don't talk about the archetypal energy as um, lack of free will. The archetypal energy is full of free will. Its free will is to keep doing what it's doing. We are part of it. So that argument that it's not free will has nothing to do with it. This free will is creation. It will keep creating. It will keep moving. We will keep moving. We will keep... Basically, the archetypal energy is unconscious. It is not conscious of itself. As animals, we're conscious. So we can reflect on it and how it actually creates us and moves us. So people look to the heavens and say, oh, the energy must be coming from the heavens. Yeah, once upon a time, long time ago, the energy is coming from everywhere because we are once upon a time it came from remember the original image we came from the stars we came from the sun we came that's the energy talking that's not us the sun would burn us into a form of energy that we did. <laughs> we did not come. We came from this planet. We're bacteria on this planet. But the energy that put us together, that blew life into us, right? And creation myths, they say, God blew life into you. That's the energy. And that's who we are. So if you measure basically, how do we know you're alive? How do you know you're alive? You go, you get an EKG. Because if there is no heart activity, you're dead, according to an EKG. So it's basically, is there active energy in you then you're considered alive. If there is no active energy in you, you're considered dead. Okay. So you're basically saying to me that if there is energy, you exist. Okay, where the fuck did that energy come from? I know how we evolved as bacteria, but where did the energy come from? Why is there energy? Well, okay, what is this energy? It's just there, just energy? No. You could tell, you could tell because if you've been in nature and watched something grow, you could tell there's and outside, there's something that's moving everything. That's where I get 
caught up. <laughs> because on the one hand, it's beautiful. On the other hand, it's incomprehensible. <laughs> you know, so there is both awe and complete uh, stupefaction. I'm like, how does this work? So, so there's a, so there's a, an intelligence, we call it. There's a, there's, there is something that creates, that moves, that's trying to see itself, is trying to know itself. Why do we know that? Because we build statues. Why are they important? They're not. We're just trying to see ourselves. Okay. Why do we take so many pictures? We're trying to see ourselves. Why do we stare ourselves in the mirror so long? We're trying to see ourselves. Okay, who the fuck are we trying to see? That's the question that needs to be asked. Who are we trying to see? My mother used to like, when we stared too much at the mirror, it's like, stop staring at yourself. You're trying to see, <laughs> right? That's the question. The question is, who are we trying to see? What we're trying to see is what is moving us? Why? Yeah. Why are we being moved in that way? Where are we going? What's the point? Is there a point? Is there an end? Is there a beginning? How does this work? Well, that's the questions we always ask, right? But we do know the body has energy. We do know emotions generate energy, right? Little kids, uh, they, they they did this experiment in a high school where they put two plants. One plant was um, basically showered with love. Everybody would tell it good things about itself every morning. And the other one would be shouted at and told how ugly and stupid it is. And they were fed the same amount of water. One plant was dying. The other plant was thriving. Well, that's interesting. There is an emotional charge, that electricity. You could say something to somebody and hurt them. You could say, I hate you, and that hurts. Why would you say that to me? Why would you say you hate me? It sounds stupid, but it really hurts. But it sounds ridiculous. But the other person, because there's an emotional charge connected to it. And that's what we're getting. We're getting the emotional charge. We're not getting the word. It's not, I hate you. What you're getting is the emotional charge. And the emotional charge is negative. Yeah. Why do we, when we cheer for players and clap more, do, are they able to do fantastical things? We could get them over the finish line. 
How do we do that? Well, that's emotional energy. That's the crowd. They say it's, they call it the crowd. Here in Seattle, they call it the, the 13th man. Basically, it's the, the invisible hand they're talking about. They're talking about the archetypes. Do you know um, the unknown soldier? All of you know the unknown soldier? With a burning flame that is never put out. That's when we talk about our archetype. That's what the archetype is. It's built a monument to it. We built a monument. It burns 24-7. Of course, we build monuments to archetypes all the time. All the churches, synagogues, and mosques in the world, they're like the unknown soldier. You, you have like, you have an armed guard that walks. This is the warrior archetype. The flame always burns. Aphrodite, uh, Aphrodite had her temple. So this is what we mean by archetypes. They, they actually, they make us, you, you go to the unknown soldier, ask them why they do that. Why are they guarding something that's not there? Why are they burn a flame for it? They'll talk to you about honor. They'll talk to you about sacrifice. They'll talk to you about a lot of things, but they won't talk to you about the archetype because that's what you salute. That's why you have armed guards. You could watch this live, by the way, there's a feed. You could watch them when there's a change of the guard. It's incredible. It's, it's an incredible thing because it's basically a living monument to the architect. And wherever you go in the world, they build great, they, they build a structure for the unknown soldier. Okay, why do you keep killing them off if you want to get to know them? It's the archetype, the unknown soldier. We're going to take a minute of silence. Archetype. I don't know how this game changed. At one minute, it looked like it was going one direction and the next, it took another direction. Archetype. You could feel the forces, you could feel the energy. We came back from nothing, archetype. It was unbelievable, archetypes. Anytime anybody says it was unbelievable, you should have been there, archetypes. That's, the, that's what you're watching. You're seeing it all the time. It outplays itself all the time. You see some people who are talking to each other. They're not even talking to each other. 
people, the commentators will say, they're not even talking to each other. They're yelling at each other, archetypes. And sometimes the archetypes need to show their feathers. And so you have tension, fighting. I mean, the, the, uh, we, we, I don't know if you saw it, but during COVID and during the protest, the protests were all young people. They were all lovers and warriors. And it was, and the magician's fingerprints were all over the, but they weren't out in front. It was the warriors and lovers who were screaming and yelling. There is uh, an image, I don't know if you saw it, of Athena landing in Oregon, in Portland. So it was the riot police with, um, uh, actually it was federal troops and riot gear who are marching towards a group. This woman out of nowhere appeared completely naked. She stood in front of them. They actually turned around, retreated. The paper wrote the next day, Athena lands in Portland. She chased them away. It's a naked woman in front of federal troops in riot gear. At first, they tried to shoot gas at her. When the men in the group tried to like pull her, she pushed them aside. <laughs> like they were about to run. She pushed them aside and she stood there. And I was teaching, I was, uh, we had a course on the archetypes and I was teaching and I said, okay, I'd like to teach my course today by starting with Athena landing in Portland. She possessed the archetype. Was she the archetype? No, she possessed the archetype. She was possessed by the archetype. And they knew it. And that's why they retreated. They ran. Okay, what is a naked woman in the streets of Portland gonna do to a bunch of armed men in riot gear? They ran. Fascinating. The, the guy in Tiananmen Square who stood in front of the tank Gandhi, Mother Teresa, this is, uh, Martin Luther King. It's something. It's one, the archetype. Thank you for tuning to part two of the special two-part podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Lahab Al-Samar. You can also find us on the IFC's YouTube. Make sure to check out the Jam Institute for Training's Magicians Call podcast as well. The IFC is a non-for-profit institution. We don't have any paid advertising for our podcast, but we do accept donations. All donations and contributions are tax deductible. You can find more info at theinstituteforconflict.com.